0: quick thank you to everyone who wrote in about the recent Founders Journal episode about imposter syndrome. It was an intense episode for me to record, and it was fascinating to see just how many people resonate with all of the feelings that I feel. Shout out to Alec, Louis, Anam, Casey, and literally dozens more who wrote in over email, Twitter, and other social channels. What this episode told me is that there will always be an appetite for personal stories that capture many of the things that we feel, but we don't always feel comfortable speaking about. And I think Founders Journal as a franchise is an incredible opportunity to talk about what has become taboo for people in their lives and in the workplace. So let's keep using the show as almost like an incubator of all of our ideas to explore these topics and experiences that all builders go through, shoot me an email to alex at morningbrew.com with the biggest personal challenge you've faced that has impacted your work. I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to use these ideas as the foundation for upcoming Founders Journal episodes. All right, let's get to the episode. Today we are talking Twitter. And no, we're not talking about my obsession with Twitter and this really horrible habit that I need to work on. We're talking about the social platform and how it recently held its first analyst day since 2014. It was an eight-hour presentation where company executives, including Jack Dorsey, the CEO, walked equity analysts through new products and the company's long-term strategy through 2023. And personally, I always find it to be a valuable exercise in honing my own strategic thinking for morning brew and thinking about business in general by analyzing the strategic decisions of big companies that have to put out all of their numbers publicly each quarter. That's just par for the course of being a publicly traded company. And so today, I'm going to break down what I learned from Analyst Day, both about Twitter strategy itself, as well as how I am thinking about their strategy in terms of growing the morning brew business broadly. Let's hop into it. Twitter's analyst day wasn't just interesting because of all the new things that the company revealed. That was very interesting. But what made this particularly just different, I guess is the perfect word to use, is the context in which this day and these announcements took place. Let me just paint a picture for you. The last 12 months have been beyond painful for Twitter. In March of 2020, in the the depths of coronavirus and quarantine, the company's stock hit $23 a share, which was a low not seen since December of 2017, three years earlier. And the company, for the last several years, has been consistently criticized for its ineffectiveness in its advertising product relative to Facebook and Instagram and other platforms, and also in its inability to innovate on its core offering. The way that people have always talked about it is people say, I love using Twitter, but I wouldn't invest in Twitter because they've had the same product since 2006 when the company was started. And so it was this general feeling about slowness and lack of innovation that led Elliott Management, which is a notorious activist investor, which, you know, they're a company that basically takes big stakes in, in publicly traded businesses, tries to, you know, overhaul the board and, you know, turn the ship around. Elliott Management in right around March of 2020 took a 5% stake in Twitter. And the first thing they did was advocate advocate for replacing Jack Dorsey. As CEO of the company. And Elliot's argument was that Twitter had been slow because of Dorsey's split attention, being both the CEO of Twitter and being the CEO of Square, the massive payments company. In addition, what Twitter had experienced was not just slowness in terms of product innovation, but also, especially in early 2020 and in 2019, the company had experienced a ton of executive turnover which made product innovation even harder when you didn't have people at the top to guide these new initiatives. So let's now fast forward to Twitter's first analyst day in a long time, given this context of turbulence that the company's experienced over the last year. The first revealing thing that Jack Dorsey shared as CEO of the company was his rationale behind Twitter's slowness. He acknowledged basically two things as the reasons for the company's inability to innovate. The first was technical deficit, which I'll talk about in a second, and misprioritization. First of all, I just want to call out that there's a certain level of finesse that it takes for any founder or any executive to basically acknowledge things that the company could have done better in the past but not have the tone of the conversation or the conference be one of kind of negativity around this company isn't moving in the right direction. So what I will share is I do appreciate Dorsey's ability to both acknowledge where the company could have gone differently, but also not, you know, basically distract the audience from all of the things that the company is working on moving forward. So let's go back to this term technical deficit. I'm not an engineer. But in talking to a few engineers and doing a little bit of research, my understanding of technical debt or technical deficit is basically this idea that over time, as software developers build products, build software, a combination of bugs, legacy code, bad coding will add up in a way that makes a software's product not unusable, but poor functioning and inflexible as time goes on. And when you're Twitter and you've been building up technical debt for 15 years, it can lead to serious limitations in the product you build. And so while I don't know the nuances of Twitter software, obviously, and there are thousands of really smart people at the company, I do believe just this concept of technical debt is a really good reminder for all of us, for people who are builders to think about and think about how there are second and third order effects to everything we do. And so just like building a piece of software for speed rather than scalability, as I'm sure that's what's happened in the life of Twitter is times when engineers have had to build product quickly to ship it out versus build it in the right way, where it could scale for the next one, five, 10 years the issue is is that it leads to consequences down the line. And every decision we make in business has an unintended consequence associated with it. And that's exactly what Jack Dorsey pointed out. In analyst day. And this is an important reminder for me at the brew. And it's an important reminder for anyone who's listening to this who is building in thinking about your decision making. It is on you as the builder to think about what are the chain of events that could occur in the future as a result of the decision you're making now. That could be you realizing that a quick hire that you need to make now to keep your business running may prove not to be the right fit six months down the road or it could be you know you changing a key feature of your product or your service based on feedback that you've gotten from your customer only to realize that a year from now your customer demographic looks totally different this is an example of second order effects and again i want to be clear i'm not suggesting that twitter could have done things differently or should have done things differently but what i am suggesting is that for every decision we make as builders we should force ourselves to understand what are the unintended consequences of that decision. They will always exist. And the important thing is understanding when we make a decision that we have at least evaluated what the potential consequences of that decision are before making it. Okay, we're going to skip forward a little bit. The next part of analyst day was around new products. And before walking you through the new products that Twitter laid out, I also want to acknowledge that Twitter has done a few different things in the world of like innovation and new products, even in the last six months. So earlier this year, Twitter purchased an email newsletter provider called Review. So you can send out email newsletters. You know, it reminds me of like a MailChimp or Substack basically allows anyone to launch an email newsletter and send it out. And then they also launched recently, it's still in beta a clubhouse competitor called Twitter Spaces, which basically allows Twitter users to host voice-only rooms on Twitter. The reason I call that out is because these two events, the acquisition of Review and the launch of Twitter Spaces, tie in perfectly with the three new products that Twitter revealed in its analyst day and the company's broader business strategy that I'm going to talk about um, in a second. So there were three new products mentioned and I want to highlight that all of them play into this common theme of who Twitter wants to become five years from now. The first product is Groups. Twitter revealed a Facebook Groups-like feature that allows Twitter users to come together based on their interests. According to Twitter, the product will create this experience that will make it easier for people to form, discover, and participate in conversations That are targeted to their specific interests. So you could imagine a group around, you know, pop culture or even more specific, a group around like alternative rock or a group around rugby. The second product, and for me, the most intriguing, was something called Superfollow. This was Twitter's first official reveal of a non ad based offering that the company may roll out later this year. Superfollow will allow Twitter users to charge. Followers to gain access to extra content that could include exclusive tweets, access to a community group mentioned above, a paid newsletter, and other exclusive forms of content. The announcement showed Super Follow being priced at four ninety nine a month. So if I had I gave uh, people access to Super Follow, they would pay five dollars a month, basically to access exclusive content that I only made available to my super followers. The third and final announcement that I believe ties together all of Twitter's new products and provides the best looking glass into their business strategy is the emphasis that the company is placing on interests. No longer are you going to be able to just follow people on Twitter, right? You could Right now you can follow Morning Brew, you could follow Alex Lieberman. Moving forward, you will also be able to follow interests and be served tweets that relate to those interests. This could range from you following sports, to crypto, to politics, to B2B media. Okay, so that's a lot, right? I talked about the three product announcements between groups, super follow, and the ability to follow interests. I talked about the acquisition of a newsletter provider review, and I talked about their introduction of Twitter spaces, which is basically like the audio rooms that you can host on Twitter. These sound like five very different things, and they are, but I believe they are so incredibly weaved together in who Twitter wants to be when it grows up. So here's how I think about it from a strategy perspective. The biggest question I ask myself when thinking about a business or a builder's game plan is how much does it align with the promise that you as a builder have made to your customer? And the second is how will a stronger relationship that you're building with your customer create improved strategic positioning for you as a company. And so from my perspective, Twitter has always been the most powerful place on the internet to feed your curiosity around your interests. And while the platform has been effective for doing that for a long time, I do believe that these announcements that I just spoke about will actually best capture the spirit of what brings value to Twitter. By now allowing people to follow interests, not just people on Twitter, and consume content from your favorite creators around those interests in more ways than ever, I believe that Twitter is embracing this persona or this profile of being an enabler for millions of creators on the internet. So let's use an example. Let's say I'm really interested in sports business. Now, not only could I get served relevant tweets about the business of sports, right? Before I had to go looking for individuals who happened to tweet about business of sports. And there was no easy way for me to find those people. Now I could follow the business of sports and I can be served tweets by people who create great content around the business of sports, but then I can take it a step further and I can support and get exclusive content from the best creators within this specific interest. And the the key thing here from a strategic perspective is that now Twitter is position, positioning itself, not only as a platform, that will incentivize creators to create more great content on the platform in different ways, whether that's through a newsletter, whether that's through exclusive tweets, whether that's through groups, whether that's through audio rooms. But now what it's also doing is it's placing itself at the center of this relationship between creator and consumer, between information provider and the information receiver, where they can make money based on the transaction that happens between these two parties, right? So if I'm supporting a specific creator who writes about sports business, Twitter is sitting right in between that to take some percentage of the payment that I provide to that sports business creator. So let's keep the sports business example going. Let's use the example of Darren Revell. Darren has 2.2 million followers on Twitter, and he's one of the biggest brands in sports business. Now, what I have the ability to do as a consumer is get exclusive information from Darren in the form of tweets, newsletter, all of these things. And then Darren has the ability to build up a meaningful revenue stream simply from doing what he's already doing, which is tweeting prolifically. And just let's break down the numbers. If Darren can get 5% of his 2.2 million followers to pay four ninety nine dollars a month, so that's 110,000 followers, to pay $4.99 a month for Superfollow, we're talking about a $6 million a year business for Darren even if Twitter keeps 10% of what he gets. And so when you think about this move from a strategic perspective, it not only offers product that delivers on Twitter's highest promise to its audience, right? Which is to serve the best information on the internet based on your interest, but it also creates more lock-in than ever before for people creating content. Because now any person or brand that has been creating content on Twitter, all of a sudden, has way more incentive to do so because now the connection between free content and paid content is closer than ever before with these new products that Twitter is offering. So if I'm Darren, why would I ever go somewhere other than Twitter to build up my audience? I wouldn't. I have this huge audience and now I have a way to actually monetize them all in the same place. Simply put, with these recent announcements, Twitter has collapsed the audience funnel. That's a term that I've used in past Founders Journal episode where I talk about this funnel of you have your free rented audience on the top. You have your owned audience in the middle, an audience that you build, say, in email newsletters, podcasts, et cetera. And then you have your monetized audience who you charge directly at the bottom. And what Twitter has done with all these announcements is they took their massive top of funnel audience. That's their bread and butter. Being a platform of the internet, they have 192 million daily active users, And now adding in new products like newsletters through its acquisition of Review, Twitter Spaces for audio conversations and Superfollow, now they're offering internet creators the ability to deepen the relationship with their audiences and actually make money from them in the place where they were building up their free audience already. You know, the way I think about it is whether or not this new subscription route ends up working for Twitter, I do believe that we can all learn from Twitter's recent moves which shows a clear commitment to building for the promise you've made to your audience and then finding ways to fulfill on that promise in a way that creates greater lock-in with your best users. That is how you build up strategic advantage in the long term. As always, thank you so much for listening to Founders Journal, and I will catch you next episode. Take it easy, everyone.